This is Pitch Black, America's Missing Soccer Stars. Welcome to another episode of Pitch Black. I'm your host and creator, Matthew, and we're going to get right into it. First, Happy New Year. I want to thank everybody that's been listening to me over the past year, um, over 300 uh, listens, and I'm hoping to do more. I'm going to do my best to make sure I bring more to you. Today's topics, we're going to talk about um, the USL, I'm sorry, the UFL, I should say, pardon me, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, and some U.S. Open information, also going to talk about the importance of streetball and how uh, it can be advantageous for the black community in soccer. Stay tuned. All right, getting straight into it. Uh, UFL, the new football league, and why it should actually be kind of a worry for a USL championship and below. Um if you haven't heard about this, uh, this just came out about a day or so ago that uh, the one of the owners, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, uh, announced the merger of the USFL, uh, United States Football League, and the XFL, which has been on and off over the good part of a, a two decades, essentially. And uh, initially, I didn't think much of, of it, but um, after a few minutes, I tried to figure out, does this affect soccer? Um, they had a poster up. Uh, on online and on TV showing that the first game was going to be March 30th and it'll be between the most recent XFL champion and the most recent USFL champion, uh, which is pretty interesting. It almost feels kind of like a a Super Cup um, type of matchup where you have the champions from two different leagues go to, uh, go up against each other. And obviously this would be the only time because they will be merged Throughout this time, a uh, little information about the teams. Uh, so there are 16 current teams that I know of, eight from each league uh, that range from D.C., Houston, Detroit, Birmingham, New Orleans, uh, actually two for Houston, Arlington, I call it Dallas, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Memphis, Orlando, San Antonio, Seattle, if, if I didn't say that already, St. Louis, and of course, Vegas. Um, which covers a good bit of territory. Obviously, there's other major cities that's not in there that we're used to hearing for football or sports in general. But uh, these 16 teams uh, in 17 regions, essentially, uh, cover a lot of area in the in the United States, which with more to come, um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if there were more to come. So how does this affect uh, soccer in America? Well, it, it affects certain levels. And I'll start from the top down. Uh, MLS, it does not affect it in my view. Um, and this is going to sound weird to say, I actually think by MLS making these moves to have the league's cup, uh, to have obviously, um, the contract with Apple and to have, um, to want to remove themselves from the U S open based on the games that they play. Um, they want to position themselves 
to be a sustaining without inhibitions, without things that could bring them down. Um, and I know a lot of people, a lot of purist fans, you know, feel like MLS should do more for everyone else. Uh, and I look at it from the business side. They've become bigger than U.S. soccer. And that is what it is. It, it's there's no going backwards. There's only going down if they try to go backwards. Um, so they're going forward. And whether they knew about this merger of the USFL and XFL uh, or not, this is definitely a time that they need to solidify their league as a league that they want to compete with the big four, your NBA, NFL, NHL, and uh, MLB. So in order to do that, you have to start making moves that don't cause you to be pulled in every direction you want a focused league. So I, like I said, I know it doesn't seem politically correct or fair to fans. Um, but I think that's actually a good thing for them in light of this. So why in light of this? Um, you know, XFL, USFL, they've been defunct back and forth for years, which is true. Um, the one thing I've learned coaching football uh, in the past is that the networks always want football. If they could have it on every week, they would. Um, the The Super Bowl is still going to be the king of sports, the king of uh, championships in the United States. But anything that they can do, I mean, it, I was just, you know, uh, conversing with someone at a bar uh, a couple of days ago. And they said, it's amazing. About 20 years ago, in like 1999, tw uh, 24 years ago, I should say. Um, around that time, there were only 20, I think 20 or 23 bowl games. Now they're about 46. So within two decades, we've doubled the amount of bowl games. Why? Because people want football. It may not be everyone, but, uh, you know, the, the Pop-Tarts Bowl won't command the same amount of viewers as the national title, as the Sugar Bowl. But it has enough people that companies want to sponsor. They want to televise. The broadcasters want to make whatever kind of money. Now, that's not to say that the uh, the upcoming USL, I'm uh, sorry, UFL, is going to be at a low level, such as a Pop-Tarts Bowl. Um, and uh, proof of that is their individual viewership. So... Uh, I looked at the different viewerships um, for each game and uh, the average for each week. Pretty much the average for each, each game as far as viewership for the USFL was 582,000 uh, viewers per week. Uh, and that's essentially per game. Uh, you'll have some, you know, for example, the week one of the USFL, you had the first one game, 840,000 another game 860,000 another game 970,000 and another game 480,000 so obviously took all those together added them up divided by four and did all the same thing through all weeks one through ten so 582,000 viewers per game per game and if that's per pretty much per week in the essence of four games that's about two two point I want to make sure I get it right. It's it's well over two uh, two million viewers a game, and that doesn't seem like much, but that's a start. It's a start, and let's realize that MLS wasn't at that level 10, 15, or fifteen years ago. It was still struggling to get that kind of viewership. Um, 
Uh, also for the USFL, their champ uh, division game averaged nine hundred five thousand uh, between those two games, and one point one six million for their championship game. XFL, uh, very similar stats. Um, actually, a little bit better. Six hundred seven thousand viewers per game. Six hundred seven thousand. So it's about two point four million viewers per week uh, total. Their division championship game averaged five hundred eighty thousand, a, uh, a good bit less than the USFLs, uh, and that could obviously be to maybe a, a better matchup that people was looking for. But their championship game had a one point four million views, one point four million. So um, obviously, more so these two team, these two leagues, their fans are usually the same. They're probably the same amount of fans, uh, depending on. Um, the region and everything. You you just have pure sports fans, pure football fans. They just want to see football. So I'm not going to assume that you know because one you know one was about six hundred thousand, another one six hundred thousand. That when they get together, they're going to average one point two million views per game. Now it may be a significant boost. It may be roughly the same, but the the main point is that it's a significant amount of people. And why does that matter? If you know the MLS is already uh, a big dog, well, it doesn't really matter too much for in MLS. There, there are three hundred fifty to one billion dollar, um, three hundred fifty million to one billion dollar um, valuated markets. They, they teams, they are totally fine. They're on the up and up. They're on the rise. I'm more so worried about USL. So how does USL uh, as the next level? of professional soccer deal with it. And I think that's a concern. It's good that they have a contract with CBS coming up. Um, the details of that as far as how much is unknown uh, at this point is also unfortunately unknown what the ratings of the viewership is. Uh, the only thing I was able to find was around maybe 2019, uh, 197,000 uh, for one of the matches. It may not have been the biggest match as far as viewership, but uh, it's still substantially lower than pretty much um, 99% of the viewership for any one of these games in the USFL or the XFL. So why does that matter? It, it, it's something that uh, uh, one of the listeners, Rico, brought up as far as marketing. And he and I have you know, agreed on this a, a lot that soccer in general, whether it's maybe the USL, maybe it's a local club or obviously uh, MLS, don't market well. Uh, just the, the way that the UFL has marketed is getting attention from people that may not necessarily even care about football in the spring slash summer, but they're going to entice you to care. And that's the interesting thing is that a, a, a merger isn't just done for the sake of merging. It's done for the sake of making money. Uh, it's going to be rough going. I think, you know, as uh, someone else agreed, uh, there's going to be betting into it. And I, I, I personally feel it's easier to do fan duels, draft kings, uh, betting fantasy football, even if it's the new UFL, uh, compared to trying to bet on soccer, just because more people know the logistics as far as passing yards, receiving, what to expect during a football game compared to what stats to expect during a soccer game. It's not saying that 
sports betting won't come to the MLS or USL. I'm sure it's probably around in some factor, but it's not nearly at the level that American football has as far as I can entice you to bet because you know a quarterback is probably going to throw for you know almost 200, 200 yards or more or a running back is going to run for about 70 yards compared to you don't know how many saves a goalkeeper is going to have. So you don't want to bet your money on something you don't know anything about. So uh, I think that's an advantage that they have as far as the marketing, it, the familiar sport, um, and uh, obviously the, the the celebrity backing of it. Uh, obviously, the product has to be good. And I'm not putting down the UFL. You know, it teaches that that's your business. Uh, there's going to be competition. This, to me, is a sign that USL needs to get a kick in their butt and see, hey, we can't post videos that get 700 views over the past 10 months. We, we If we're representing uh, 30-plus teams, and this, this is the same for NPSL and all other leagues, you can't sit there and only try to market to your own fan base anymore. You can have your certain fan base culture. Great. Always do that. Don't ever get rid of that. But to keep it to yourself is going to be the death of your club, the death of your league. And this it's a bittersweet thing to have this past month because while this is going on, there's actually an opportunity. And that kind of gets me to my next uh, topic. Um, a couple, a little bit of advance, uh, a yeah, little information that there will be uh, talks between uh, MPSL uh, going into um, this month uh, with the, uh, sorry, with uh, Infantino uh, as far as FIFA, the uh, director for the U.S. Open, um, and kind of address one of my concerns, what happens to the automatic bids, the slots that were there for the U.S. Open uh, for the MLS. Because we're still, you know, obviously we're all on our edge to see, well, what is MLS going to do? MLS said they're not going to play. Uh, U.S. Open said you have to play. MLS could essentially decide and say, no, we're just not going to. I mean, there's nothing you can do. And to keep them out of any uh, CONCACAF event would be, uh, you know, ridiculous. So uh, in that case, what happens to those slots? And I would think it would go the next runner up. Who's the second level league? That's USL Championship. So essentially that moves everyone else up. So USL Championship moves up to one. USL League One moves up to two. Uh, uh, NPSL, uh, NISA all move up. Everyone basically moves up. And everyone gets a bigger stage. Yes, you're not going to have the big MLS teams. And I personally don't think that's even necessary to have those big MLS teams. Um, it's more advantageous to have a big stage and stake your own claim. Develop your own narrative. Let people see your city. Um, remember uh, almost a decade ago, little Iceland is in the Euros, basically... Uh, David and Goliath, and they have a population of, I think, a little bit over 300,000, almost 400,000. And, you know, it's essentially if they have 10,000 people in the stadium, they have a huge chunk of their population 
you know, probably what that would be about. Sorry, I want to do the math real quickly. 10 percent. That would be about three percent of their population is showing up, uh, which is a substantial amount of people um, from your country showing up to to games. And you're getting your name out there. You're getting the name Iceland out there. People are learning more about it. Same thing with uh, Wrexham. You can be a small club, but it's all how you tell your story. Uh, Everyone can't tell the same story. Everyone's not going to be super successful at their story. But that's that's no excuse for uh, to not, you know, that's not an excuse to just say, well, we don't have the same uh, marketing money, so we're not going to do it at all. That's no excuse. Being lazy uh, will destroy your club, destroy your league. So this is opportunity. Obviously, there's more um, broadcasting money in it. Um, and I've mentioned before, it's up to the clubs to get more butts in the seats uh, in their own lo- local area because that helps out their revenue. And it also helps out the optics for uh, broadcasting. Uh, so but not to get to uh, operations and financial it's more so just this is the chance. This is the chance, um, uh, potentially the chance. Nothing has been confirmed, but uh, that is in the works to have them move up. And obviously, whomever wins the U.S. Open, um, which, if, like I said, if MLS decides not to be in it, um, it won't be an MLS team anymore. Um, and that'll be an automatic bid for the CONCACAF Champions League, which will give... Local teams or smaller teams, smaller leagues, more of a desire. You know, it's it's no longer can we beat the MLS team. It's can we get to the big table now? And that's big money. That's big money. Uh, so I think that's a good, um, you know, uh, um, conversation that they're going to have. And uh, I hope all that definitely comes out, you know, on, on a plus end. But in the meantime back to the UFL, uh, kind of just jumping back to the UFL thing. The time is now that there's, you know, you don't want to wait a year to see if UFL fails. If the United Football League fails, that is what it is. But if they succeed and you've sat on your hands this whole time, whether you're a person that works for your club, a person that's just a fan, but probably needs to volunteer in some type of way, you need to do something. You need to get the word out to get things going because once a football league starts and it rolls, it may be difficult to stop. It may be extremely hard to catch up to. And now you're fighting against uh, the UFL and the MLS just to maintain the slice of pie uh, that you have in the market or even have any slice at all. So get off your butts. Uh, When I come back, I will talk about street ball why i love it and what made me think about it for this topic i'll be right back all right welcome back to the next segment so i was talking about street ball and this kind of started from um uh just scrolling through instagram and i by all means i wish i would be a little bit more a <laughs> uh, 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 highly researched um, you know, skilled. Uh, I, I do try to, I have my topics that I, you know, have for research, but then there are other things that kind of jump in and really catch my, uh, my mind. And one of the things was there were, uh, kids, African kids, kids from, from Africa playing street ball, uh, or playing, it's kind of like a, a pickup game or it's a, you know, 
you'll have pretty much the whole town around. They're not playing on grass. They're pretty much playing on dirt. Some are playing, most are playing in um, uh, uh, futsal. It's like a, like soccer uh, cleats, but it's not cleats. It's just kind of rubber at the bottom. So it's just kind of like a, a sneaker, trainer, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they're skilled. They're very skilled. Uh, a lot of trick moves, uh, 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 you know, a lot of speed and, you know, a lot of flair. Um, and, you know, I'm watching, you know, just thinking, wow, this is incredible. These the, these kids are really, you know, doing some fantabulous things. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I do like everyone else, you know, does. I look through the comments and while you hope for the best, you end up getting the worst sometimes. <laughs> and one of the worst was. Well, all I see is kids, uh, you know, that that's not playing defense. Oh, a bunch of shops. Keep in mind, these are kids. They're not playing for any cup. They're not playing for uh, any, you know, championship, any money. They're playing for fun. They're enjoying themselves. They're entertaining. They're being kids. Uh, they had adult, you know, uh, games, too, but they were also more so entertaining. It'll be at, at the level if you're just playing, you know, a game of pickup basketball and, you know, you, you have Harlem Globetrotter moves. It's it's not for anything other than just fun and maybe like self, you know, pride or something. But these kids were having fun. So seeing that really seeing those comments, which shouldn't mean anything, but it, it it resonated because I would hear the same thing amongst coaches. I would hear the same thing amongst, you know, other fans, whether it's locally or other um, events. Oh, why are you doing all that? You know, why are they doing all this? Blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, well, why not? <laughs> why not? And, you know, it, it it's trick moves and everything aren't unique to just one. Uh, they're not just made for one ethnicity. With that being said, black athletes tend to put a little extra. Why? Because that's just a part of our cultures. It's not everyone. I'm not going to assume that every black athlete is going to uh, do a crossover move or, you know, do a tomahawk jam slam, uh, slam dunk. No, that that's not everyone. But it is definitely a part of a bodily movement and, you know, body awareness culture that we have, whether as far as dancing or just pushing our bodies to do extra things. I'm sure no one uh, other than <laughs> other than the other country was upset at Vince Carter in the Olympics literally jumping over their center to dunk on him. That's flair. That's out of the norm. But we all enjoyed it. So my question is, why is it that when it comes to soccer, you know, players are told to, uh, you know, if you see that player like a Neymar or Ronaldo or whomever else that you know, does, uh, you know, flare things, go hit them. Well, why? You know, it, it's maybe it's a part of your strategy. But I don't think it's a successful one because that just leads your player to uh, commit a foul, you know, whether it's a yellow uh, or a red card, depending on the severity. But why? Why are why are traditional soccer fans so against trick play, street ball? As we've all realized throughout many sports, the street ball version of a major sport has always 
done better. It's always been, or is uh, sorry, not always done better, but it's always been an asset. It's never been, uh, uh, you know, something. Well, if you do this, you're going to lose. Now, is there the right time to do it? Of course. I, I remember reading the quote from you know about Sir Alex Ferguson uh, talking to Cristiano Ronaldo, where you know Ronaldo was king of stepovers. He'll do you know five, six, seven stepovers, you know, before tipping a goal. And it wasn't that Alex Ferguson didn't like it. It was just, hey, do a few less. Because he understood what you're doing gives you an advantage. It's not just for show, but it's giving you an advantage. It's confusing the defender. Just rein it back a little bit because you might be missing that technical fundamental opportunity to excel. And it's finding that balance. I personally believe there are a lot of coaches that are so afraid that they can't coach a kid with incredible talent, which we've probably all known with the U.S. soccer system. We've we've very much made the sport bland. We've made the sport bland compared to if you go to many other countries where even if they have fundamentals, players are allowed to express themselves on the field in an organized way, obviously. But yet here, you're just told, no, you don't do that. You're, you're either going into the street ball, you know, arena where you're only going to play street ball or you're going to be this uh, regimented soccer player that may not even make it past because somebody else may just be physically better, you know, bigger, stronger, you know, faster than you. So my thing is, why not use every tool in your toolkit to even the field or extend yourself past that field and be a dominant player or be a better player than them. You know, even if they're taller, faster, stronger, you have skills that allow you to control the ball better and it looks good. It's sports entertainment. And I, and you know, I say that with a, you know, take that with a grain of salt because I know you can have sports entertainment that waters down the game, you know, just for viewership, but viewership is important. It is important. If no one's there, no one cares. You want to get butts in the seat. You want to get people, and I still say to this day, more than half of the people that go to NFL games don't know a damn thing about football. And they don't need to. They just want to be entertained. They, and Them being there will be entertained. Whether it's Taylor Swift coming to the game or you actually have a quarterback that's throwing five touchdowns. Whatever gets you there, that's fine. And I think it's a big hindrance, especially to the black soccer players, whether it's, you know, black African, you know, black American or from anywhere that have these skills, but are so either taught to they're not taught to do it anymore or they're taught to cut it out of their game. I, I I enjoy watching MLS games. I enjoy watching USL games. Um, I would rather enjoy seeing the best of the best players. I don't want to see Michael Jordan, you know, or, well, let's go to current. I don't want to see, I'm um, not a LeBron fan, but I don't want to see LeBron just doing basic, you know, step. I, matter of fact, I'll give you a good example. Why was uh, Kobe considered better than Tim Duncan. And this is no shade to Kobe or Tim Duncan, but why, you know, they both have the same amount of rings. Uh, you know, they both have had, you know, obviously incredible careers, Hall of Famers um, in both rights. 
But why is it considered, oh, well, yeah, you know, Kobe's better. Well, Kobe did certain things, partially because he had to, different positions, but he had to do certain things. And he I wouldn't even say he was flashy, but he pushed his limits. He didn't try to play like the average player. He didn't train like, he didn't live like the average player. Now, similar with Tim Duncan, he wasn't the average player, too. It's just that his style was more fundamental. That's what his coach wanted, and it worked for them. I'm all for whatever works for you, but there's no way that every soccer club in America is just a fundamentalist. We're San Antonio. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. There are flashy players. There are your Allen Iversons. He didn't win a ring. He wasn't the only one. You have your flashy players and Steph Curry has won several rings. And he changed the game by doing something that people said, no, you cannot do this because that is showboating, trying to shoot threes. Now, everybody wants to shoot threes. The guards, the forwards, the centers, the water boy wants to shoot a three because they changed the game. They brought something that was seen as, no, you don't do it. Only one person should do that too. Hey, we all got to learn this. Why? Because it gives us an advantage. I see the same thing with the street ball style of play for soccer. Everyone can't do it, but it is something that can be added. And if you're afraid to add to the game, then you shouldn't be coaching. In my opinion, you shouldn't be coaching because the same way that uh, you know speed and our running quarterback was not the thing to do. Everybody needed a prototypical quarterback in the NFL. Now you're getting more and more quarterbacks that need to be mobile, whether you think they're mobile or not. It's going to come. So why withhold yourself? And that's not just within U.S. soccer. That's also international in the sense that, and I, I love the players that we have on the United States men's national team. I still don't. I think we're, this is one of the best squads we've ever had. And I still think this is not the best athletic abilities that the U.S. can produce. No shade to them. They're incredible. I still don't think it's the best because I still think the United States restricts our style of play. While other countries have been able to add their own unique styles. They have literal offenses and defenses you know, that, did, that evolved from that specific country. Styles of play that are unique to them, the leagues that they come from, the towns that they come from. Yet, if you were to ask, what is the United States style of play? We would just try to say, oh, we try to do everyone else's style of play. We're not everyone else. Even if it, we, our street ballers, our street ballers aren't everyone else. We need to do, we need to get out of our comfort zone. And I, I, like I said, this is a soapbox I'll die on. Having a flashy player, having the street ball sense, having the ability to be free in certain in organized moments. Like I said, this is not, you know, this is not the Harlem Globetrotters we're trying to send out, uh, you know, overseas or into the MLS or USL. But it will not hurt. A, a player that's learning how to step over, that's, you know, that practices uh, nutmegging people, you know, flipping the ball over people's head. Guess what? That fan, those fans are going to sit there waiting for that. It's almost like a home run. 
Yeah, you don't try to hit a home run at every at bat, but people are sitting on their seat waiting for it to happen because it doesn't happen often. And when it does happen, it can be a huge boost. And I can go on and on about this, but that's just my thing. So if you're one of those sticks in the mud that's like, oh, you know, I want boring defense because soccer needs to be just ticky-tock, kick it here, kick it here, and then someone's happening you're going to have a boring sport and you're going to be taken over by another one. Don't regress soccer. Don't regress American soccer. Uh, with that, uh, I don't, definitely don't want to get into a grind my gears moment. But with that being said, thank you again. Uh, obviously, this is the first podcast of the year and looking for more stuff to come in. I know we're coming out of uh, kind of a winter break. Uh, and I'm trying to get all these college football games out of my system because I will be watching them. Uh, but I will, you know, continue, um, you know, with some more research. I'm actually uh, just trying to get some things together with uh, something that's been sent in a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, as far as the uh, Atlanta Chiefs uh, uh, soccer team uh, from the 60s or 70s. Don't quote me 100 uh, percent sent in by uh, Mr. Rico again. Thank you again. I uh, definitely want to just kind of, you know, give you a quick you know, uh, episode about that amongst many other things. Obviously I'm still working on the book, still working on, uh, establishing kind of a timeline of black soccer players that are well known, maybe not so well known, um, uh, soccer player from pretty much every major country. And, uh, I, it's much more than I expected. Uh, but thanks again. And as always looking forward to kicking it with you. Goodbye.